Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, if you will, we'll stand for the reading of the Word of God. <clears throat> and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Amen. Father, I love you. I am thankful for your blessings. I appreciate your presence. I thank you, Father, for the wonderful songs. Thank you for the testimonies. Thank you for your presence here this morning. God, I pray that you'd help me to be a blessing to your people, to edify the body of Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us through the Word of God. Build our faith through the Word of God this morning, Lord. We know that faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd enable us, Lord, to live by your Word, be filled with the love of God, to give you the praise and honor and glory. Yes, for your anointing this morning, Jesus. Jesus' precious name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You may be seated. I want to say before I get started, I, I really appreciate the songs that you sing here. I say this very carefully, but there are places we go that when the singing starts, I stop. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> anyway, I certainly appreciate the songs here. <laughs> Meaningful songs. I'd like to preach this morning by the help of the Lord on mature love. My text contains a prayer by the Apostle Paul for the church at Philippi. And this is one of several recorded prayers that the Apostle Paul prayed uh, concerning the church of Jesus Christ. He recorded two prayers for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3. And he recorded a prayer for the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1. And in 1 Thessalonians 3 and 10, he informs the church at Thessalonica that he is praying night and day exceedingly to be able to visit them and to perfect that which is lacking in their faith. In all of Paul's prayers, I think we can learn something of the apostles' burden for the people of God, and what really mattered to him about them. And the petitions that Paul presented before God for the churches of his day, I think, serve as a pattern for us as we pray for the spiritual needs in our own lives and for the needs in our churches. I think we do well to use Paul's prayers as a pattern when we are praying for our particular church, the things that he prayed for are necessary and important for the churches. And in my text, Paul is praying about the quality of love that is needed in the church at Philippi. This kind of love described by Paul in his prayer 
is the kind of love that should characterize every believer that names the name of Christ and every church that professes to belong to Christ. And first of all, we see in my text that it is an abounding love. This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more. So it's an abounding love that Paul is praying for in this church. And he expressed a similar desire for the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, where he said, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another, and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Every Christian, every church should be marked by a flourishing love for one another, for the family of God. And the Bible says we are to abound in love one toward another. Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. He said, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory, or which should speak to you of my esteem for you, that I am suffering in your behalf. And this suffering will turn out for your benefit. For this cause, so that you do not faint at my tribulations for you. For this cause, I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith. And you know, when I read that, I think instantly of the fact that Christ does live in the heart of every Christian. But I think that what Paul is praying for here as that Christ would find a suitable habitation in the hearts of his people. Because Christ does not dwell where he does not direct. And there is no home for Christ without a throne for Christ. So he is he's talk, praying here for a suitable place in the hearts of these people for Christ to dwell. Christ may dwell in your heart. Find a permanent home in your heart. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Rooted, talking of speaking in agricultural terms. That you be rooted in the love of God. That is, the, the love of God is the soul that feeds the soul. So if you're rooted in the love of God, that is the soul that feeds the soul and causes us to abound in the love of God. And we're to be grounded. This is an architectural term. So that we are founded upon unshakable underpinning. We're founded on the love of God. It's a sure foundation for the people of God. And we may be able to comprehend or mentally grasp with all saints what is the breadth and length, and depth, and height. Someone said that one man 
illustrated this, uh, this petition by drawing a cross. And at the top, he put the height. At the bottom, he put the depth. On one side, he put the breadth. And on the other side, he put the length. And said right here, amen, right here, is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. Amen. Woo, hallelujah. Praise God. I'll tell you, brother, you can't get a better definition than that. Amen. And to know, not only to mentally grasp, but to know, experientially know, the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge. And I think when he says, which passeth knowledge, he's talking about a love that is unknown in human experience outside of Jesus Christ. It passes human knowledge. Only the people of God know that. Only they know this love of God. This is a love that passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. Hey, when I read that, brother, I realize there's something here that we need that we can have and the fullness of God in our life. Abounding love leads to the experience of the abounding presence of God in our lives. It leads to our lives being flooded with the presence of God. Seems to indicate if we have little love, we have little of the presence of God. If we have much love, we have much of the presence of God. Individuals who lack the love of God experience little of the presence of God. I think it's true of churches as well. The churches that lack the love of God lack the presence of God. But abounding love corresponds to a rich experience of God's presence in our personal life and in our church body as well. So the love of God is so critical to us as an individual, but it is also very critical to the church of Jesus Christ. It gives us access to the abounding presence of God. The love that characterizes the Christian is an active love. Someone has said that the opposite of love is not hate, but apathy. Love that lacks concern for others and a willingness to act on behalf of others is not the kind of love that comes from God. John is known as the apostle of love. And he wrote in 1 John 3 and 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In the description that Jesus gave of the judgment in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, the sheep represented the saints of God and the goats represent the unbelievers. And the sheep and the goats were separated with the sheep on the right hand of Christ and the goats on the left hand. And the blessing pronounced upon the sheep went like this. Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was and hungered, you gave me meat. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Do you understand how closely Jesus identifies with his people? When Paul was struck down on that Damascus road, Jesus spoke to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? Jesus identifies very closely with his people. And earlier in the book of Matthew, Jesus identified his brethren in chapter 12 and verse 50. He said, For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. The brethren are those people who do the will of God. You know, I think really that this is the expression of genuine faith when a person, their personal will, their self-will is abandoned in favor of the will of God. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. This is what marks out the people of God. This really is the evidence of our faith in Christ. It's doing the will of God. Not our religion, not our good works even. Because he went on to say, Many will say unto me in that day, Have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And then will I confess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. They said we are workers for Christ. He said you are workers of iniquity. I'm telling you, I don't want to go to the judgment, brother, and find out that all my religion was done outside the will of God. What's going to really matter is did I do the will of God in my life? It's not everyone that saith, Lord, Lord, that's going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And so these people, these people were his brethren because they did the will of God in their life. Jesus then pronounced judgment on the goats, those on the left hand. And these are the people that didn't consider the will of God to be important. Didn't consider it important enough to find out what the will of God was or to follow the will of God. And he said, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was a hungered and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you took me not in. 
Naked and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison and you visited me not. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee and hungered, or thirst, or stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. I want to say that the difference between the sheep and the goats is divine love demonstrated in good works. Demonstrated in kind deeds. That was the difference between the sheep and the goats. Now, I, I have read this through the years, and I thought, Lord, I would really have been more comfortable if you had said to those sheep, well done, because you never went to a ball game. You never had a television in your home. You never smoked a cigarette. You never tasted a beer. You, uh, you kept yourself pure. You know, I would have thought, I would have felt more comfortable if God had said things about what I never did. But when he says, when he talks like this, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink of water. When I was sick and in prison, you came and visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. I'm telling you now, we're not talking about things we didn't do. We're talking about things we did do because we were motivated by the love of God. One emphasis in this description is that the Christian is not the person who merely makes good sermons about love or talks a good talk about love, but who demonstrates love in deeds of kindness to those who belong to Christ, to his brethren. It really would be impossible to prove love for the people of God if you had no desire to be around them. Assembling together with the people of God is a necessary component of our love for God and for the people of God. But it's not necessarily proof of that love. There are plenty of people that go to church out of habit, out of a sense of duty, trying to maintain a reputation, keep their business respectable. But responding to needs among the brethren and sisters involves some interaction with them, a desire to get to know them, discover what ways that you can minister to their needs. The Scriptures tell us in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's not merely the assembling, 
but it is what we do for each other. When we assemble, we are to encourage one another, strengthen one another, provoke one another into love and to good works. And we come together for a purpose. Hallelujah. We see the day approaching. We understand this is important to get people ready for the day. The day of the Lord's return. We're here to remind each other of the coming of Jesus. Remind each other of the truths of Scripture. Remind each other the greatness of God, the goodness of God, and the worthiness of God of our worship. We come together to prepare for that day. And we are here to help one another get ready for that day. So a passive love, one that is all talk and no action, lacks the essential energy of the love of God. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul described the relationship between faith and love like this. He said, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything, but faith which worketh by love. Or in other words, faith which is demonstrated in deeds of love. Saving faith has a twin, and that twin is named love. It's demonstrated not merely by talk about love, but by deeds of love. James describes saving faith in similar terms. In James chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, He said, if a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, that is, deeds motivated by love. If faith hath not deeds motivated by love, it's dead. Being alone. My text points out what fuels that abounding love in the life of the Christian. He says, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. Abounding love is the result of abounding knowledge, knowledge in the will and ways of God. There's a, a growing fellowship with God fuels a growing love for the people of God. And y'all understand that we're to do good to all men, especially to them of the household of faith. And when the Christian neglects their relationship with God, it shows up in a diminishing love for the people of God. My text also points out the traits that accompany a growing love, a mature Christian love. Paul's prayer connects a growing love with the ability to make wise judgments. He says, In this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And the word judgment means discernment or moral perception. The Tyndall New Testament commentary stated, and I quote, It is the employment of the faculty which makes a person able to make a moral decision, end of quote. That moral decision is guided by the knowledge of God, His ways, 
and is motivated by divine love. Divine love will make you a holy person. Barclay has some interesting comments on this scripture. And I quote him, that love, which was not merely a sentimental thing, was to grow in knowledge and in sensitive perception so that they would be more and more able to distinguish between right and wrong, end of quote. You know, I think that many religious people think that love is just merely an emotion that disregards morality. But Paul makes clear that the love that God gives has moral perception, moral sensitivity, and it motivates the Christian to live a righteous and holy life. I, I really believe, brother, that there is no stronger motivation to please God than the love of God. Israel feared God at, the, at Mount Sinai. They didn't want to talk to God or God to talk to them. But it didn't keep them from making a golden calf at the base of the mount. But the Lord said, I'd like to do something for you. I'd like to work on your heart so that you would love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because there's not a more powerful motivator than the love of God. It causes us to live for God. It causes us to live for the people of God when we have the love of God. It motivates us. It motivates us to search for knowledge. If a person loves science, they will pursue a fuller knowledge of science. If they love history, they will seek to find out more about history. If we love someone, we seek to learn more about that person. If we love God, we pursue the knowledge of God. Love drives the pursuit of the knowledge of God. It causes us to get in his word to find out who God is, what kind of God he is, what does he ask of us. What does he want from us? What does he promise to do for us? We want to know this God that's revealed to us in the pages of Scripture. Causes us to seek an intimate daily fellowship with God. This love motivates the knowledge of God. And according to my text, love does not place its stamp of approval indiscriminately. Verse 10 of my text says that you may approve things that are excellent. Love doesn't praise the wicked. It doesn't justify sin in self or others. It approves things that are excellent. And I really believe it's impossible to love without also hating it was said about Christ that he loved righteousness. He hated iniquity. The love of Christ is duplicated in the believer. So if we do not hate sin, we obviously do not love righteousness. Oh, God. I'm telling you, this is what's happened to churches all over this country. Is they lost their hatred for sin. 
And that was the result of losing their love for God. Because when the love of God governs our heart and life, we hate sin. I'm going to tell you something, brother. You can't sit in front of a television all afternoon and soak up the soap operas and enjoy the sins that go on on that tube and, and love God at the same time. You don't work that way. You hate what God hates. You love what God loves. When the love of God is in you, you cannot approve of sin in your life. You cannot approve of sin in other people's lives. There's something in you, there's a horror about sin. Oh, yeah. You know, I used, I used to listen to some of the talk show people on the radio. And in recent years, the talk has become so profane and vile. Brother, to offend sanctified ears. I can't stand to listen to somebody use the name of the Lord in vain. Use words that are profane. It, it offends sanctified ears. The love of God approves things that are excellent. Mature love not only rejects obvious sin, but it selects the best of things that are lawful. It approves of excellent things so that mature love screens out weights and hindrances to our Christian growth. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 12, seeing therefore we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. There are some things that are not sin in themselves, but they hinder you in your walk with God and in your fellowship with God and they, they, they uh, hinder the discipline of your life in order to draw nigh to God. And it, 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 this, this love of God now, I'm telling you, this love of God will cause you to approve the things that are excellent, even things that are lawful, but maybe a hindrance, are cut out of your life by the love of God. And so we drop the weights so that we can draw nigh to God. Mature love screens out those weights. Those things that are hindrances to our Christian growth and our Christian testimony. And love, listen to me, love approves of the things in our life that really matter. It don't matter. You know, I have a degree in math education, secondary math education. But it ain't going to matter at the judgment how much math I knew. It ain't going to matter how much history I knew. It ain't going to matter, uh, you know, a lot of things in my life is not going to really matter. But there's some things that are going to really matter, brother. And the love of God screens out those things, makes those things secondary, and gives us priorities in our life and, and helps us to put in place those things that really matter in our life. Our relationship to God, our relationship to the people of God, our burden for a lost world, the love of God gives us priorities in our life. The love of God results in a holy life. He tells us in my text, 
You may approve things that are excellent. You may be sincere without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the praise and glory and praise of God. And this is what the love of God does for us. It gives us a life that brings glory and praise unto God. Fills us with the fruits of righteousness. Mature love brings glory and praise unto God. Y'all, there's a, I'm going to try to wind up here, but there's a young lady. I say she's a young lady. She was about 50 years old. We just buried her a few days ago. She died of COVID. And uh, we met her years ago. She actually was not coming to my church at the time, but she had been coming to my church for years. And last couple of years, she left and went to a, a neighboring church to help out a little struggling church which we uh, agreed that was what she needed to do. She, uh, years ago, her husband died, and she had adopted a little boy uh, that was uh, birthed by some of her kinfolks that were just, uh, they were just uh, immoral and, and had lots of children out of wedlock, but she had adopted one of those children but we'd worked with her for years before she ever came to Christ. And uh, I, when I first met her, she was homeless. She and her husband just uh, in a motel begging for money. And we just help them out. And, and uh, eventually, somehow or another, she, she got attached to us. And she'd call us and come around and start coming to church. And she professed to be saved and and she was deceitful and 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 I thought lazy and and uh, and always begging and always in need and and uh, just ne never stable and my wife worked with her and I worked with her and for years and uh, so one day she came to the house. And I thought to myself, I'm going to talk straight to that woman today. And so she, I got, she was in the living room. I sat down with her, and I, I just talked straight to her. I said, you, if you're going to ever do anything, you got to quit this deceitful living. you got to be honest with God. I just went down the list and just, <laughs> just laid the law down. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I didn't know it, but she'd already got saved. And uh, she told my wife, she said, back in December, I had an experience with God. I was sitting on the side of my bed smoking marijuana and looked up, and there was a, on the wall a picture with a motto my wife had given her. It said, you are not alone. She got under conviction, went through the the uh, marijuana cigarette away, fell down beside the bed and gave her heart to Jesus. And she, uh, she started coming to church and started praying, seeking God. All that deceitfulness went away. <laughs> and she, uh, she began to display uh, uh, fruits of righteousness in her life and and it, there was still a lot of rough edges. She come from a very rough background. There's a lot of rough edges. And my wife worked with her through the years. 
and saw her develop very slowly in the grace of God. And I have to be honest with you, I got so tired of working with her. I was just out of patience, really. And uh, I, I had to just confess it was, it was my precious wife, bless her heart. She stuck to her when I'd give up on her. Amen. And uh, she kept on trying to pray with her and trying to help her and trying to bless her. And, 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 and she's, all, she's still needy now. After she got saved, she's still needy. And uh, my wife was always trying to help her in every way she could. And I was sort of thinking, uh, this girl needs to take some responsibility here. And, and uh, but, uh, time went on. And God was working in her life. When she went to this other church, she went there to help this struggling congregation. They let her lead the singing. She started cleaning the church. She started taking an active part in the church. She began to grow in the Lord. Everybody could see that there was a growth taking place in her life. After about a couple of years, she came down with COVID just a few weeks ago and had to go to the hospital. And she was texting people, pray for me. I can't breathe and so forth and so on. And so we was praying for her and people across the country. She was texting the people of God and not only was she texting the people of God, but while she was dying, she was texting lost loved ones and saying, get right with God. You need to get right with God. Brother, she passed away, but left behind a testimony for Jesus because somebody never gave up on her. I tell you, this is the kind of love we got to have, brother. Amen. The kind of love that don't give up easy. Amen. The kind of love that goes the second mile. Yes, the kind of love that causes us to have a burden for souls. Amen. The kind of love that causes us to keep pushing on Amen. when it seems like everything we're doing is hopeless. But we believe that the love of God is a powerful motivator. And I want you to know this, too that the love of God is hard to resist over time. Oh, yeah. Come on, brother. Yeah. Amen. Oh, yeah. I say the love of God's hard to resist Come over time. On, My wife is a precious lady. Y'all know that, I'm sure, by now. But I tell you, I had a hard time getting her. I, I, I decided right after I got out of high school... I said, I'm going to marry Judy Yates. It took me a long time to get her. I tell you, she was a hard catch. Times I didn't know if I was going to catch her. But I, I stayed on the trail. I was like a hound dog. I'm telling you, I was like a hound dog on the trail, brother. I just wouldn't quit. Just kept on coming. <laughs> I just kept on coming. Until one day she said, I believe that boy really loves me. <laughs> Praise God. I want her heart. Hallelujah. I want her heart. Because I stayed on the trail, brother. Amen. Amen. I tell these young boys at my church, I say, look, it's not the job of the woman to pursue you. You pursue them. Amen. 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 Right. I just stayed on the trail till I got her. Yeah. Praise God. I dated one girl. 
married her, amen, been, been with her 44 years, amen. not looking for anybody else, Hallelujah. happy, praise God, oh, yeah. hallelujah, amen. praise the Lord, <laughs> and I'm telling you, that's what Jesus did for me, yeah. that's what he did for you, brother, he got on the trail, he stayed on the trail, when we were saying no, when we were running from him, but Jesus stayed on the trail, brother. I'm telling you that the love of God is difficult to turn down, the persistent love of God. And, and when the love of God's working in me and the love of God's working in you and, and so feel that love of God. And hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. My mom and dad died in a car accident in 2007. My dad was a wholeness preacher. And the last church he pastored, he was 81 years old when he quit pastoring. He pastored an Indian church at Pembroke, North Carolina, Mount Zion, Pentecostal Fire Baptized Wholeness Church. Most, most everybody there was Indians. And my dad was an elderly man when he went there. The church had about 90 people in Sunday school and about 30 in church. After Sunday school, they left. And, but they started having revival not long after he went there. Souls started getting saved. He was telling me about all the things God was doing. We'd talk about it every week and talk about what God, he'd tell me what God was doing. He said, I want you to come down here and preach. So I went down there, and, and I just stepped into a move of God. I preached for two weeks. People getting saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. One little girl about 12 years old, one night she walked up and down the aisle in that church with her hands in the air to midnight seeking God for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the next morning when her parents, they had devotions at home, and her mother went outside to hang out the clothes and, and the Holy Ghost fell on that girl and filled her with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God was a working. I, did, the revival, I didn't carry the revival there. I stepped into revival. When I left, the revival was still going on. And praise God. Amen. For, for I don't know how long, every week it seemed like somebody else getting saved, somebody else getting sanctified, somebody else getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Revival broke out there. And people, my dad had a heart attack just a few months before he, he resigned the church. And we went down to the hospital where he was in the hospital. Some of those church people were there. One Indian man came up to me. He said, I'm saved because that man loved my soul. He said, I'd go to church, lost. And that man would come up to me, wrap his arms around me, and tell me he loved me. He said, I'm saved because that man loved my soul. I'd sure like for somebody to be able to say, I'm saved because that man loved my soul. Oh, 
I've preached to you all week on the love of God. I preach myself under conviction. I want more of the love of God. I tell you something else too. I want that love of God demonstrated in my life. I don't want to go to the judgment and God say you talked a good talk about the love of God. I want to walk the walk, brother. 